Welcome to the Panoramic Outdoors Podcast, connecting you to all things outdoors. You're tuning in to episode 168 of Panoramic Outdoors. This one's brought to you by iHunter, Canada's number one digital hunting companion. Uh, we've been using the old iHunter a lot this fall here, and we'll touch on that in a bit. But today we're going to have a little chat with Jay Scott from Jay Scott Outdoors. And uh, before we get into it, across from the table, uh, I got Sheldon Grant. Sheldon sitting across from me. How's it going, Sheldon? Oh, you know, just... Uh... Just giving her, man. Just going, going flat out. My hair straight back. Getting ready for the Christmas holiday season. So it's been busy, busy. But I'm glad that we got to get together quick for uh, a little chat. For sure, man. And I noticed today we got we will have our whitetail roundup coming up at some point here before the the year ends. But I did notice a picture of a nice buck on the old Instagram feed today. You want to say anything about that? Yeah, like every year I, well, not every year I get a deer, but I usually get a deer and, and I wait till the end of the season to kind of post about it. Um, this one I shot in the black powder season, so it was my last morning. It was the last day of black powder, and um, I had uh, a couple deer on camera. This one wasn't a target deer, but it was definitely like one of the dominant deers in the area I was hunting in because I was... I, he was on a couple of scrapes that I had pictures of him and um, he was, when he was out in the field, you could tell he was chasing off other little bucks and stuff. There wasn't in the one area, there wasn't one maybe bigger than him, but I kept hunting that area because I know the deer, the bigger bucks kind of frequent through that area and they, and they, and they move through there quite a bit. Um, so anyways, that morning it was right after it rained and um, I had perfect wind for my one blind. So I snuck down into it. And I was pretty cautious because, well, A, I had good wind, but I was kind of cautious because it was super loud walking across the field to it. Um, I literally got sat down and it was still dark and got everything kind of ready to go. And I heard deer walking out in the field and I'm like, oh man, but it's so dark. I couldn't even, I couldn't even silhouette them. I have no idea where they were. So I'm like itching to see what's going to like appear in front of me. It was like. I don't I don't even know how to describe it but once the daylight started to break and I could see there's about six or eight deer out in the field a doe and a calf and then this bigger bodied animal with this doe and this calf and I'm like well that's a buck but I can't tell what it is and then I got a good look at him like no nah, no nah, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna bug him like that's this one I've seen a few times he's nice thick chocolate horns though and he's all right you know so I kind of actually I brought out the iHunter app a bunch of times to make sure that like shooting lights going to be like I'm all legal you know I'm mm-hmm. like looked I'm like it's okay 717 or whatever it is I'm like okay I got three more minutes three more minutes so then once daylight broke um I actually a coyote came out in the field and kind of chased the doe on the calfway and he kind of just stood on top of this hill about 150 yards um a doable shot but I was just like nah whatever I'm, I wasn't really interested in him um but then I thought you know what I got this uh, grunt tube I'm going to throw out a few grunts and see what happens and um yeah i did that and he came like on a string right to me to 50 yards and was standing looking at me and i just couldn't say no so i plugged him in the you know front shot and dropped him and it was all uh 
celebrations after that. The rest was history, eh? The rest was history. And, you know, the one thing that I do like about shooting deer in the morning time um, is you have a plenty of light to get it cleaned up, get some some nice pictures, you know, maybe have a few, you know, lunchtime beers and then uh, call it a day, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was a good day. And, and not only that, Tristan, I think I sent you a few pictures. So my dad that morning had a goose field lined up and he was all mad because I'm like, no, I'm going deer hunting. Like, I'm not going goose hunting. So my and my dad couldn't find anyone to go with. So he ended up going and setting up by himself and with him and his dog. And they end up getting uh, like, I don't know, half a limit of, of Canada's and a half limit of ducks or whatever it was. So it's kind of cool because after I got my deer hung up and all cleaned up, I sent him a few pictures and he sent me a few pictures. And then I drove out to his field and helped him set everything down and, and packed them, packed them up and brought them back home. So it was an awesome day. It was really cool to kind of have uh, a little feed of both. What a banger of a day, man. Like, yeah, I'm excited to drill into it a little bit more. And um, I just want to share a quick to like a quick eye hunter story I had with. Sure. Cause I thought I, I like had the in, ins and outs of the platform nailed down pretty good, but I was using it when I was out deer hunting too. And I was hunting like a small parcel of public land. But what I noticed was that there was, um there's a trail going through it and i could see the trail on the map that i was on but then it started to open up into some of these like um like meadows and the meadows weren't on the map so it was throwing me and so i couldn't because i couldn't see that on the iHunter kind of platform i was like oh man what's going on here and then i realized like i keep my my map set on it. I think it's at um, ArcGIS one or whatever because you can cache it. I switched back to like the Google or the Apple map and then those metals popped up in that area. So like just changing that map layer like gave me a better couple of view, which like kind of helped me get into better position now. I won't say whether I saw stuff or not, but maybe leave that for the roundup. But yeah, yeah, it, it just it's interesting that uh, there's, there's it seems like there's no kind of limit to the the stuff you can kind of tinker around with in that that iHunter app yeah and I, I would second that too because I was I had a couple family members come out and hunt with us this year and so we put some blinds and stuff in different spots and I, what I do every year is I kind of draw a big map on a on like a poster board for everyone to kind of show them um but my cousin Quentin has iHunter as well so I was showing them different spots but in the last few years, they they push some of the bush and some of these bluffs and stuff, and finding different maps like Google and I, uh, Apple Map and a couple other ones. Some of them had the bluff already taken out, like it was a newer map, and yeah. some of them didn't. So it was kind of nice to kind of go through them and find the the newest one. So that was cool. Yeah, it's kind of this dancey do a between sometimes one's got a better resolution and one's got like a a better either newer or either there's no cloud in the area um but sometimes you have to like tinker around with those maps just a bit yeah and seasonal too like some are taken uh in the spring you can tell or in the fall so like you can kind of see different features of the land that way too yeah ma'am the other thing i was kind of surprised about too what i was hunting i did take my badlands here with me and it was i got that mega set which is like a rain set um, so when I was hunting whitetail, like it's, it was a, it's a rain shell kind of, and not only was it quiet, but I actually was surprised at how far I was able to extend that gear into the late season. 
I was I was worried it was gonna freeze out a little quick, but the the Omega like said actually like held heat quite well into like well we had a bit of a warmer kind of end of the season here, but like almost into December I was able to wear that gear quite effectively. So um not something you would typically think of just like a rain shell, but the Badlands has done a again a a good job of like putting together something that's going to be functional um for quite a long time yeah badlands i've been the same thing i've been wearing and if anybody's looking to get into the badlands gear obviously check out their website they got badlands canada on instagram and the one thing that i've always praised about badlands is their bino harnesses and and backpacks i have the same bino harness or it's not even it's a bino harness but it's like a bino pack almost Mm -hmm. um i've been using it for like over six seven years now uh it's still in like perfect shape I'll, i don't think i'll ever have to buy a new one because they're just built so well um and it's all like magnets so there's no noise when you're when you're pulling out your binoculars or your rangefinder. so i like in mine for instance just to give people like an idea on what you can get with it but like on mine i can put my vor- vortex binoculars in there my rangefinder, a scent indicator i usually put a small multi-tool in there a lighter uh, and my tags go into like the back pocket because that that harness comes with me 100% of the time. So I always put my tags in there. So yeah, there's lots of room and it's not too bulky and I can shoot a bow with it. I can shoot anything with it with it while wearing it. So very, very cool stuff that Badlands has. So That's awesome, man. Yeah. Big thanks I've to them. I've been eyeing that up too, for sure. I got one more quick announcement. I got to give out a shout out to... Well, you well you know, but a lot of people probably don't know. Um, Orbs Appliance in Nepal was actually a business my my father used to own, and then this guy named Aaron bought it. But a really cool thing that Aaron and Orbs Appliance done this year is that they donated a dock to Lake Irwin. So for next spring coming up, Lake Irwin's gonna have like a new dock uh, system set up, and right now they have like this rock kind of like quarry thing that's kind of brutal so i just thought i'd give a shout out to orbs appliance and Nepal for making that donation i mean docks are expensive and for them to to get one for the lake so that you can get your boat in easily or fish off it or do whatever i think it's a cool thing for Nepal and cool thing for lake Irwin. so um big shout out to orbs appliance aaron at orbs appliance thanks for uh thanks for doing that yeah and i'm just looking here so if you're not familiar with kind of that side of the province in manitoba like lake Irwin, there would be just outside of Deepawa, off of 16 it looks like highway 16 yeah just off highway 16 or highway 5 south it's just a small lake filled with jack they actually got some perch in there and really good water following out of that off that lake too so um it's a kind of a the probably like the only lake around nepal but it's let's get a cool little lake yeah that's awesome should we talk about jay a bit or like what because like he's <laughs> well i don't know if we really have to talk about him because you know the thing i was thinking about was that he's kind of like the bob azumi of fishing you know or not of fishing of elk hunting um he he's got so many stories and and loves to talk it was it was an awesome episode yeah i was i was i'm kind of still in awe thinking about like the or reflecting back on the episode there uh he's got over 860 episodes under his belt and it shown through rather clear i would say when we we're chatting with him there just how practice he was um and how much knowledge he just kind of carries around with him from talking about elk or deer or whatever hunting for 860 episodes you know what i'm saying <laughs> I know. And like you, like you have a little bit more of a connection or you and Chase have a little bit more of a connection than I guess myself, because you guys were doing a lot of research before archery elk hunting and 
listening to a lot of his podcasts and stuff of like that. Is that correct? Yeah, we definitely use Jay and like a few of those other ones as a as a launch point for like how we kind of modeled our our plan of attack for elk in the woods here. Yeah, it was pretty cool to connect with him just like and kind of go back and share that connection with him and then also like kind of where that got us and maybe a few points of difference. But yeah, he super insightful, even was able to add some insight around how he might strategize in the Manitoba woods. Like pretty cool to hear him talk about that, like on a one-to-one level. Um, Was also just shook by like how humble he is. And you can tell, you can tell he's humble because like of them, not just the, the amount of work he puts into his platform like just like honest work just getting it done putting out the episodes but just not re- he talks about not relying on fancy gear and stuff like that and you can tell that his like heart is in it because he just he just loves to do it and so like when i get a chance to talk to someone like that who just absolutely loves what they're doing this has got to be some of my favorite episodes that we ever do yeah huge passion and it's uh very very clear and evident well without further ado i think we should let jay do the talking here and turn it over to him what do you think yeah let's do it man okay folks enjoy 168 with jay scott outdoors all on today's episode we got an awesome guest from all the way down south in arizona um you might have seen his podcast on the old outdoor category in your podcast catalogs but welcome to the show jay scott i'm happy to be here uh guys i'm looking forward to it Thanks yeah, for having do you, me do, on. Do you do any uh, podcasts with uh, with your northern neighbors, us Canadians up here? You know, I've done a few, I think, uh, over the years. I started back in 2015, so it kind of all blends together, to be honest with you. It seemed like the last, you know, nine years has been a blur for sure. Um, but yeah, I've had a few uh, Canadians on the podcast for sure. Oh, nice. Um, how we normally do our podcast is what we start off as a segment called five burning questions. Um, and there'll just be five questions. You can answer them any way you want. And just for us to get to know you, you for you to get to know us and our listeners to get to know you as well. I think I got three ready to go. Tristan, you got two to follow up yep. and we'll start off with them. So I guess my first question for you would be if you had one last meal on this earth, what would you have? And uh, what would you have to drink with it? You know, I'm, I'm a sucker for Mexican food. Um, we have great Mexican food down here where we're at. And, um, but to be honest with you for almost a year now, I've been pretty much on this, uh, kind of keto carnivore diet where I pretty much eat meat. I eat uh, bacon and eggs in the morning and blueberries and, and then ribeye steak. Um, but you know, so maybe a good steak, but I'm a sucker for uh, great Mexican food. Um, I actually went from a hundred and I'm six, six, three on a great day and six, two on, on a, on a worse day. Um, and I started out at one ninety, and I'm one sixty five now. So I've lost a solid 25 pounds, um, just eating a lot of protein, but, uh, that's a long answer to say probably Mexican food. If I was uh, dying in the morning, I'd say, uh, load me up with guacamole and, and, uh, tacos and tostadas and the whole nine yards, great salsa. So, and to drink yeah. with it, you know, uh, I actually, uh, I drink pretty much just water. Uh, I've, wow. I, I don't drink alcohol. And so I'm a, I'm a pretty cheap date. <laughs> nice. Um, I've actually dabbled into the keto. I was so here, like last, this is last year, two years ago, I was up to like 285, I think. And then I went on keto for three months and it was like heavy carnivore, wild, lots of wild meat. And I got down to two, what was it? 238. So, and 
I've gained a bit of it back, obviously now, but um, but yeah, I want to get back into the carnivore thing. I think it's a, it's an interesting interesting subject, and lots of the research I've done, there's some health benefits to it too. Are lots of obvious health benefits, I think, to it too. So, yeah, you know, um, I, I sleep a lot better. My joints are better. Um, the reason I just turned fifty in February, and a guy that I fish with uh, in the summer, he's sixty and got diagnosed with colon cancer, and you know, the doctor told him one of the main things was processed foods um, that caused that. And so I've pretty much eliminated, not pretty much, I have eliminated uh, all processed foods out of my diet. And, um, you know, the, the I, I'm, I'm tall and thin, I always have been, but any excess weight um, just poured off me. And, um, you know, eating to me now is easy just because it's, I'm, I've done it long enough now that it, it's, you know, eating a steak every night, don't feel too sorry for me. <laughs> well and that's the thing i was reading as well like a lot of people use eating as a privilege rather than a fuel and when you can change it to just a fuel to keep your body going then you're not eating the garbage that that's presented to you or that's like a, an addiction or whatever right sure so yeah that's pretty cool okay second question uh five burning questions if you had uh if you could go to a concert any concert in the world live or dead who would you go and see oh man that's a good one you know i'm kind of a people laugh at me i on my instagram i'm a kind of an old school uh hairband rocker i mean i've i gotta think i i would go to you know some of the um you know metallica's the uh the uh motley crews you know some of those uh the deaf leopards uh maybe in their prime and and check them out i i've been to a few concerts um i'm not a huge concert goer but i'd have to say it would be kind of fun uh to go check those out yeah that's on the top like what my answer would be there would be very similar like we have a couple of those old like uh dvds of acdc and stuff in concert in like the early 90s and late 80s and it's just like oh my god that'd be so fun it would but, be kind of uh, crazy for sure you know and i think too like um the old Led Zeppelin stuff and, you know, even, uh, you know, John Fogarty and, and, you know, Creedence Clearwater Revival. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of pretty cool stuff that, uh, that, uh, it would be fun to just kind of go back in a time machine and check it out. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, my third question for you would be, is that if you just got dragged to, to the middle of the bush, but you're allowed to take a weapon with you to uh, survive, what would you take? What's your, what's your trust? That's a good one. I mean, I, I don't know how you couldn't take a, a, just a trusty old 870 12 gauge shotgun. I mean, you can pretty much do everything you want with that. Um, you know, I, I mean, maybe, uh, maybe if you're going the rifle route, a 257 Weatherby or a 6.5 PRC or something like that. But, um, I could see where, you know, a, a 12 gauge shotgun, just a good old standby pump, uh, 12 gauge, um, might be a good thing to have. That's a great answer. Tristan, you're up, buddy. That's what I would take, I think. Although maybe maybe I've heard people say 20 gauge too before because of just like the lighter lighter well, fire. That's arm. true. And and with with the technology these days in ammo, you know, with the apex ammunition and some of this tungsten super shot, maybe taking a 410 a lot lighter to carry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hard to say. And lots of these people are preppers though so and then they're like no you can't find 20 gauge ammo in a in the apocalypse so i'm like I don't, know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know yeah i was wondering if you if we like the one last questions obviously but if you have one last hunt what would it be 
you know, I get asked a lot of times what my favorite hunt is. And my wife always answers for me and says, whatever's in season at the time or whatever season it is. But, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm real partial to coos deer down here in the Southwest. Uh, this will be my 28th season guiding for coos deer in Mexico and run an operation there in Mexico for coos deer and mule deer and, and Gould's turkey and bighorn sheep. But, you know, I'm real partial to the, to the desert animals, uh, you know, the desert bighorn sheep, uh, the coos deer. Um, you know, the Sonoran mule deer, but, uh, you know, big bugling elk, um, I guess would be hard to, uh, to beat, uh, you know, the 30 days that they get bugling and rutting around is a, is a pretty special time for sure. Yeah. Though, like, I, I've got to give you credit here too, Jake, cause like we've only recently seriously started hunting elk in the last probably six or seven years. And, uh, um, it's really exciting to have you on the podcast because it was like folks like you and uh, Steve Chapel and Corey Jacobs are then that really like laid the way for a lot of our learning on like how to pursue and like develop tactics and calling sequences and all this for elk. So like your media really helped us a long ways and just like um, being able to take it a little bit more seriously. So and also well, developing, I appreciate that. Yeah. And developing that addiction because you're right. There's nothing like hearing like a big old bull just like screaming back at you that's it's hard hard to think of anything like it yeah they're pretty awesome september is a real special time and you know speaking of steve uh we were partners for five or six years in the guide business uh chapel and scott guide service he's still a dear friend of mine um and uh, one one of my great friends and uh he he's a phenomenal elk caller and then you mentioned Corey. uh he's also a friend of mine and uh obviously a 12-time world champion so um, honored to be mentioned in, in the, in, you know, the group with those two guys for sure. And, um, you know, part of what I try and do, um, I'm kind of a mom and pop shop here, one man, one man band, but, um, always trying with my podcast or social media, just trying to give back and help, um, you know, I, hunting and fishing has given me so much. Um, I kind of feel like it's my duty, uh, to, to give back and, and help people become better and in, be able to enjoy, uh, hunting and fishing more. So appreciate, appreciate you saying that. Awesome. Yeah. sounds like you hit the nail on the head, at least, at least for us. So glad to have you here. Um, and then last one, actually I got a bonus one, just if it's okay with Sheldon, but I, I just want to know if oh, you're, a coy- if you're a coyotes fan or not, cause I'm, you know, what's crazy is I'm kind of a fish out of water when I go to a hockey game, I've been to a few, um, but you know, growing up in, in Phoenix here, uh, until we got the coyotes, you know, I knew nothing about hockey. I mean, I can remember, I think it was 1980, uh, when the U S won the Olympics, uh, I was seven years old and I kind of remember that in the back of my mind. Um, but you know, I'm much more, uh, you know, I can speak a lot more about football and basketball and baseball, uh, than hockey, but, um, you know, it's, it's been fun having them here in town and, and I've got friends that are real diehard, uh, you know, I'm, I'm winter sports aren't exactly my specialty, but, um, I, I do, uh, I'm glad that they're here and, and glad that they've uh, had some success too. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I feel like there's hunting's a winter sport too. We'll call it that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Down here where I'm at though, you know, in, in the middle of winter, the, the lows like 50. So, um, you know, we don't know winter like you guys do for sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it gets a little fresh gets a little frustrating up here when you can't even load your firearm sometimes because yeah, of, I mean, yeah, everything we still have green grass to play golf on in the middle of winter so don't you know <laughs> it, we're talking apples and oranges here between yeah. our winters and yours 
Yeah, it's coming in cold, I should say, soon here. Um, and last one too, I was just wondering if you uh weren't uh podcasting or producing hunting content or guiding, what would you be doing with your time? You know, I I the beautiful thing about what I do is um I started real estate in nineteen ninety-seven right out of college and I'm real passionate about real estate and um finding a good deal. It's it's a lot like hunting and um you know, in the summer, I'm I'm fishing all over the Western U.S. I have several boats that I row myself and take a lot of my friends fishing. And I'm also a licensed fishing guide, but I, I just take my friends and really enjoy fishing and, and, and enjoy golfing. Um, you know, I, I, I've hunted a lot and I do hunt a lot and I guide a lot. Um, but I think part of having that balance of being able to focus on fishing for, you know, three months out of the year, focus on some golfing in the spring. Um, you know, I played college golf, uh, in high school and in college and, um, uh, played here at a small school, uh, Grand Canyon university here in Phoenix. Um, and, you know, I've kind of gotten away from the game as, as I, uh, dove into my real estate career, which is what I call my real job. Um, but, you know, I'd be doing real estate, be doing golfing, doing some fishing. Uh, and, but you know, I, I, I hope that I never have to, uh, stop hunting. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully I'll keel over one day on the side of a ridge and they'll just prop me up and say, there he lays. So, yeah. um, you know, it, it's, uh, hunting is very dear to me as well as fishing, but you know, I, I, I like spending time with my family and, um, love finding a good real estate deal here and there. And, and, um, so I, I stay pretty busy. No kidding. Hey. 850 episodes in and uh he's still got a few other gigs on the side too yeah i i um i i stay busy the grass doesn't grow under my feet very very much and um i'm always on the move i've got an outfitting business in in old mexico uh this will be my 28th season down there and and uh, that keeps me busy as well and and kind of in tune with uh you know what's going on and the latest and greatest out there so i really enjoy that business um but yeah, I'm, I'm pretty active for sure. Now that we've done the fiber in question, it's almost like, man, we got to get you back on for so many different things. <laughs> There's a lot of rabbit holes this. to go down when you get me <laughs> yeah, talking. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, like we were kind of chatting earlier is that we kind of want to like kind of get to know you um, and, and a little bit and talk a little bit about the podcasting world too in the outdoors. But I think that I have to ask because I ask a lot of guests. And I think uh, it's it's a fun question to ask, and I really appreciate the answers. It's like where did where did the outdoors start for you? Like how did how did you get this passion to be fishing and in the woods and the mountains and the desert all the time? Yeah, so I came from a ranching family uh, here in Arizona and over in the San Joaquin Valley and in California on on my grandfather's uh, sides and. Uh, both sides of my family have a ranching background and very young age, I was probably five or six years old. Uh, my grand grandma on my mom's side, uh, would order field and stream magazine and outdoor life and, um, and, and have those at her house. And I, I was always, I'm, I'm a kind of an analytical person. And, um, even as a kid, uh, I, I would read those magazine articles and really, uh, didn't really have anybody around me that, that hunted and fished 
or or had the opportunity but i was a kid that just was fascinated by it from those magazines and reading those articles and and you know tapley's tips and um there was a guy that in field and stream you guys are too young to remember but he always had this tip section and there was always like three or four tips of whether it was fishing hunting you know all sorts of stuff and and i would uh keep those i would mark the pages of the articles that i thought were really exciting and and so for a handful of years i was one that would just read those you know going to sleep at a young age um and always dream about being able to go bass fishing or trout fishing or you know actually going in a boat or you know squirrel hunting and uh elk hunting deer hunting whatever it may be and um you know i had some friends uh, uh jason and dave meldy their dad uh took me probably when i was i don't know 10 12 13 years old and kind of exposed me to it they were a hunting family and i got to go along and 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 so then any opportunity i'd get to go with them i just bum bum around and pal around with them and you know i because i wasn't i wasn't able to just be around it when i first got um, exposed to it, it made me want to do it even more. You know, I was the kid on this, on the side of the lake that had my little Zebco 33 reel. And I had my tackle box because I'd read all about the different lures and stuff and see the guys go by in the boats and then see them come back and they got a full stringer of fish. Of course I hadn't caught anything. And, you know, I told myself if I ever get the chance, I'm going to be one of those guys in that boat and, uh, I'm going to experience, you know, hunting and fishing as, as, as much as I possibly can. And, and so, you know, that was early on, um, just a burning desire to, to, to get out there and do it. And then as I got older and, um, you know, got my driver's license and got a little bit more freedom where I could go on my own, um, anytime I could go fishing in the summer, I was, I was gone and, and fishing and, um, you know, just kind of one thing led to another, um, really heard those elk bugle for the first time, um, you know, when I was probably at the end of my high school career, starting college. And as soon as I heard elk bugling, it was like, I got to do that. And, um, I literally have not missed a September since I've taken every single day of September off since I was just got out of college, um, and I'm out in the elk woods every single day. I do not miss a single day. I go 30 days straight the entire time from start to finish and um, just milk every elk season that I can. And, um, you know, the beautiful thing, like I said earlier, is because of all the different things that I do and the animals that I hunt, I never get burned out on one animal. Like if elk bugled 12 months out of the year, likely after 30, 40 years, you might get tired of it. Um, yeah. I, I like it because we've got turkeys in the spring, we've got deer in the fall, we've got sheep in the fall, we've got elk, you know, bugling, and you kind of can bounce from one season to the next. And just about the time you kind of get worn out on something, if you can, you know, uh, then it starts, you know, you get worn out on elk, you start deer, you get worn out on deer, you start um, bighorn sheep, you get, you know, then you get a little break in the spring and then you start all over again with spring turkey hunting. So I think it's important for people out there listening to, you know, you can get, you can get too much of it. Um, if you're just hunting one species and so, you know, try and get several things, whether it's, you know, hunting in the fall and fishing in the spring, um, split it up a little bit and, and you'll be just as, I'm just as passionate about it as I, as I've ever been, um, I don't necessarily need to go on my own personal hunts and don't have huge burning desires to go here, there, or wherever, but 
I do have a burning desire to be out there and to be guiding people and, and helping people succeed and have great hunts. So that's why I think I make a great outfitter um, because I like seeing other people succeed. Yeah, for sure. And I think like um, that's kind of a good transition into like the subject that I do want to talk about. And um, you know, you do mention read and field and stream and, and learning on your own, some of the, some of the tips and tactics, right? Like, is that how, you decided to start a podcast like 850 some episodes ago is like you wanted to like be able to provide some literature not literature but i guess some you know some information for people getting to try to get out there you know it's kind of funny how the podcast started um so for five years my um, wife and i spent um uh the summers in Vail, colorado and and we'd spend the summers there and i'd fish a lot and on I believe Wednesdays, my guide was Giannis Patelis, um, who oh, no. uh, is Giannis of the Meat Eater, and he he actually guided us for five years in a row, and he's one of my dear friends. But we would always float and and just you know talk about hunting, talk about fishing, and this was before he was the Latvian Eagle, and you know tied in <laughs> with Steve, and and uh, you know we were we were great buddies, and and had a, a love of hunting and fishing, and. I'll kind of wrap, I'll kind of tie this all in. So, uh, you know, a couple of years later, Steve Ranella actually, when he was kind of first starting out when the meat eater just started, um, he came down to Mexico and hunted, um, Gould's Turkey. He hunted, uh, uh, Buffalo, and then he started coming in and doing coos deer and long story short, um, through, through me and several other people, everything kind of came together and, and Giannis and Steve got connected and the rest is history there. Um, and when they were starting their podcast, uh, they had just been down, I want to say down hunting coos deer with us in Mexico. And I had gotten back from, I'm usually down there about a month and Giannis had sent me a email or maybe a text and said, Hey, I want you to listen to this first episode of our podcast. Well, I, I kind of was like, I had been a guest on another podcast, but I was kind of like, what's a podcast? Well, remember that, you know, it's like an interview and, and we, we've been hanging out with Joe Rogan and Rogan says that, you know, podcasting is going to be huge and listen to this pilot episode. So I listened to the meat eaters first pilot episode and I said, wow, that's great. That's you guys did great. It's phenomenal. Great idea. Giannis and Steve were like, Jay, you should start a podcast. I'm like, oh no, that this is your idea. Like I, I, you know, I, at the time I hadn't thought, I'm, I, I'm usually a product of thinking big and can have good business concepts and what have you. And they're like, no, no, this, this space is going to be huge. And, you know, you could talk about Western hunting and fishing. And I was like, well, you know, it, it, I had already had a blog uh, and a website and a blog and really, you know, had an active blog, had a really good following J Scott outdoors, which is still, you can go on line and just put in J Scott outdoors um, blog and, I mean, there's probably eight or nine, maybe 10 years worth of, of blogging about all the hunting and fishing. And so long story short, I said, send me what equipment I need. And literally the Giannis just sent me the recorder and, um, I, which is funny. I still have the same one today. Um, I'm a real simple guy. I'm, I'm, I'm not a fancy guy and I have the podcast equipment actually sitting right here in a bag and I ordered, you know, four microphones. I've ordered the zoom recorder and, um, uh, within two weeks of getting the equipment, I had done my first episode. And um, this was back when literally the meat eater maybe only had, I'm just guessing, you know, 
five, 10 episodes. And so I started mine and um, amazing, got just right off the bat, you know, the people that listened to it really liked it and got amazing feedback. But that was back when, like I said, you know, um, hey, uh, to buddies, hey, I, I started a podcast and they're like, what's a podcast? What is it? I said, well, look at it as kind of like an interview or a radio show. It's kind of like a radio show. And, you know, for the first couple of years of doing my podcast, so I was doing eight a, eight a month, two a week. And, um, you know, I'd have to say, hey, I'd like to have you on my podcast. And I mean, 90% of the people would say, I don't even know what a podcast is. So, well, um, and, and mine wasn't, you know, visual like this. It was just audio. And I say, I'm just going to call you up and we're just going to talk. Um, I'm going to interview and we're going to talk about, uh, you know, hunting and fishing. And so it just kept going and going. And like five episodes in, Go Hunt, Lorenzo Sartini reached out to me and said, Jay, I love what you're doing. I want to sponsor the podcast. I was like, sponsor the podcast? And he's <laughs> like, yeah. And I, I was like, I never even thought of that. And he goes, well, yeah. Um, we'd like to pay you and we'll sponsor the podcast. I was like, in my mind, I'm thinking I get paid to do this. This is crazy. This is insane. Um, and you know, so I started it just to try and educate people and inform people. And it was kind of an extension of my blog. And, um, you know, I really enjoyed doing it. I still like doing it. Um, and I love diving into certain topics and really diving deep and trying to pull out of people tactics and information that and and you know the feedback um is what i is what i go off of my feedback from the people that listen um and you know the feedback's been amazing and and i've got so many loyal supporters out there and followers and um, so many people that message me after hunts and tell me the success they had and they learned some tip on the podcast. So for me, it's super rewarding. Um, you know, it, it, it's something I encourage anyone out there. If you're thinking of starting a podcast, just do it, get the equipment and do it and run with it and stick with it. And, you know, um, I, I honestly have probably on the last six months have been on a break um, just because I was doing it so much. And, you know, with um, my outfitting business, real estate business, I didn't feel like I was giving my podcast uh, there in the last six months as uh, much time as I should. So I just took a little break and I'm about actually to ramp up and start a bunch of new episodes. So it's a great way to connect with people and um, encourage everyone out there. Like you don't have to be fancy. Like I still have the same podcasting equipment that I started with. Like I haven't you know, people say, well, you got to have fancy music and you got to have an intro and an outro and uh, all that stuff. And I'm like, I I don't even know what that is. Like, I'll just edit up an elk bugling and, and get on there and have a conversation. And, um, you know, there's, there's certainly something to a, you know, a commercial factor to it, but there's also just down home conversation, like what we're having. Um, people obviously like it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've been sitting a lot here because there's there's so much to to chew on. But like eight fifty in, then you probably deserve a bit of a break there, Jay. So like, <laughs> just take a little breather. I mean, eight hundred and fifty episodes was uh, it was awesome. I mean, so to give you an idea, guys, still, so I haven't done an actual episode where I've hosted probably in six months, and, and maybe I've done one or two, but. I get three to five emails a day from people still listening to episodes of the podcast saying how much they enjoyed it. Um, you know, when I was still going like crazy, you know, I, 
one of the challenges is I answer every email that I get personally. Um, you know, there were days I was getting 30, 50, 70, 80 messages, emails. Um, and so, you know, I understand when I hear some people give these big, big guys, you know, the Renellas and some of these Joe Rogans, you hear, oh, well, they didn't respond. Well, guys understand that, you know, guys like that are getting a thousand messages a day and you, you honestly can't answer them all. Um, yeah. But I've really tried to over the years be as genuine as I can. And I mean, today I had, I don't know, seven or eight messages from guys literally up one, one guy's hunting bighorn sheep in Utah and he's sending me, you know, Jay, what do you think this is? How old is this Ram? I got guys sending me up on a ridge, sending me uh, videos of elk saying, how big are these elk? What do you think? You know, I'm <laughs> thinking, well, what unit are you in? You know, I don't want to make you, I don't want to make a bad decision for, I got guys sending me deer pictures of, you know, Jay, how old is this deer? How big is this deer? And, you know, you could take it and feel overwhelmed or you could feel that you're blessed to be able to, to, to have people out in the field sending you saying, I value your opinion. I value your advice. And so there's not a second or minute that goes by that I don't, I, I try and take every message seriously and I try and help people as much as I can. And um, there's a lot of people that know a lot more about stuff than I do. But um, if, if I can just help one person at a time um, with something valuable that helps them, that that's what keeps me going. Mm -hmm. so I've tried to, with my social media, with my Instagram, um, that's been a really good way for me to connect with people because um, I can do that a little bit better visually. Um, you know, if I had the right technician, if I hired someone to probably help me on the podcast, we could probably do some killer, you know, diagrams on the screen and some, you know, killer stuff. Um, but I feel like through Instagram, I'm able to show some videos, do some guess the scores, you know, put my score, put my guess on age, talk about anatomical characteristics, talk about, you know, what I think. And, and I get so much feedback from from other hunters on how that's helped them, um, you know, calling tactics, whatever. So I, you know, I, I've, I've really tried to push a lot uh, through my Instagram as far as just trying to connect with people and help them on their hunts and, and on their fishing trips. Mm -hmm. I wanted to affirm a, a comment you made earlier there too, about just like having some persistence or sticking with the, the podcast uh, business, if, if you're serious about it. And I mean, we're not, we're not as huge as, as you or a lot of the other shows out there, but um, we've been going since 2018. We don't have 850 episodes, but I can tell you like the persistence that we've shown and just sticking with it for that, that amount of years, I think has definitely benefited us too. So even for like a, a smaller operation too, I think it's helpful just to, to know if you keep doing it and if you keep doing it, like you said, with the right reasons, um, eventually someone's going to listen. And yeah, uh... <laughs> I mean, exactly. And, and it shows a level of, of, um, you know, you're, you're respecting the position that you've been put in to, to, to have a microphone and to have a voice. And, and, um, you know, I was doing eight a month to a week and, um, that consistency, um, builds, builds value. Um, and, and again, you know, you can talk about, sponsorship dollars you can talk about pay per episode you can talk about a paywall you can talk about whatever you want my intention with the social media with my podcast is never and it will never be about money ever um i make plenty of money doing real estate and other businesses um it's to help people and i think 
um, you know, unfortunately, like any, uh, any space, um, you know, there, there's people that their sole reason to do it is because of a business and because they want to make money and that's fine. I'm not faulting them, but, um, you know, there's a lot of podcasts out there that, you know, I think Joe Rogan's a good example. Um, you know, he, he enjoys what he does and, um, he didn't make any money at his podcast for a long time. And then he was offered, what was it? A hundred million dollars or something for X amount of episodes. So, it, you know, I don't believe Joe started out to say, well, I'm going to be the biggest, I'm going to get paid more than anybody in the podcast space. I think he did it because he enjoyed it. And then it built into something because he built a big voice and, and, and gained people's trust. So, you know, again, in any business that you're in, I recommend if you're thinking of starting a podcast and you think you can add value and help people, um, I think it's a great way to um, build rapport with with people and and um, connect. And that connection, a lot of times with any business, whatever you're in, building that connection um, is huge. I have to ask too because we've we know that you're you you keep it old school with the the equipment, but we're also in the the media production side of things here too. And I'm just extremely curious, like. I'm guessing, well, maybe some of the gear hasn't shifted since uh, episode one. I'm sure you've you've learned a thing or two along the way. Like what is what are some of those large lessons that maybe you can look back eight fifty in and say like like this this was a real learning curve for me or like this is this is this is a takeaway from my journey. Well, I think the beautiful thing about it is the way I do my podcast, it's mostly interview style, you know, where I'm in you guys' shoes and I'm picking away and answering asking those questions and you know, the amount of stuff that I've learned um from having guests on um you know, and I've had some, you know, wildly famous guests and I've had guests that literally nobody knows who they are and 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 the and the value is everybody has a story and everybody has something that they can bring to the table and you know if you're a good interviewer you can pull those things out of people um no matter who they are you know whether it's the president of the united states or it's um someone that you know cleans bathrooms for a living it doesn't matter um, what kind of, you know, stature you have or, or whatnot. If you love hunting and fishing, you're welcome on my podcast. And, um, you know, more than likely I'll pull something out of you that, that others will get a, you know, get some value from. So, um, yeah, Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I think it's, it's a great way to communicate. Um, and, you know, I encourage you guys to just keep doing what you're doing. And if you're seeing some traction with it, you know, pour the coals to it and pour the gas on it and uh, keep going. Do you, do you have one that sticks out in your mind? Because, like, I can think clearly back to a couple that we've done uh, for, like, one for me, for example, is a local gentleman around here that probably no one would have known on the media side necessarily. I shouldn't say that. Maybe some people did, but he'd been hunting elk for about 25 years here and had still not connected with one, but his passion and his drive to like get back out there. And uh, he was very articulate when he came to hunting elk. He probably knew more uh, than all three of us sitting around. Well, like uh, my other, the other partner at the time, Chase, I, I would include at the table. Um, and it turned out to be like one of the most fun and interesting interviews that like I can still recall in uh, in our repertoire. So like, do you, do you have a story like that or someone that like kind of sticks out in your mind? For... I mean, I, I've had, 
I mean, Donald Trump Jr., Will Primos. Um, Will Primos has been a, you know, back way back when Primos was building elk calls. Um, when they first started out, they were sending me elk calls by the hundreds and, you know, asking my opinion on how they sounded and what could be done to, to do things different. So, you know, Will Primos, he's, I believe he's been on several times. He, he was, he's a good friend, but he, he was someone that I enjoyed interviewing. Um, you know, you mentioned Steve Chapel. He's been on a bunch, um, you know, Steve Ranella, Giannis, um, you know, Brian Call, you know, the Gritty Bowman. Um, and, and then a bunch of guys that, uh, you know, are not not as well known. Um, but like I said, that the, the beautiful thing is um, if you dive into the weeds and you get talking specifically about certain animals and about their behavior, um, you know, there's things that you can pull out of people that really are, are a gem and really, you know, diamond in the rough type situations. Um, and, and, you know, I, I hate mentioning one without mentioning another, so I could probably go down <laughs> the list, but, you know, it's just the, the beautiful thing is, is have, you know, if I give anybody advice on podcasting, have a bunch of different people on. And, you know, I see some other podcasts where they are, you know, just chasing the big names and, you know, that's fine, but you can learn a lot from someone that's done something for 30, 40, 50 years. And, you know, I, I'm a huge believer in spending a lot of time around uh, old people, um, which now some of my younger guides and stuff uh, start saying that I'm in that category, you know, turning 50, but you know, something about being around 70, 80, 90 year olds and listening to what they say and keep your mouth shut, ask them questions. It's amazing what you can learn. Yeah. And I think that's like the old podcasting realm was sitting around that fire at deer camp or elk camp and listening to those guys. Right. Like, yeah, I mean, that's all we're doing. It's the same thing, telling stories and, and, you know, just, just, shooting the bowl and um that's all really podcasting is it's just you know we're sitting here looking at each other but it's no different than if we were sitting around a fire and i think if you can keep that style and keep it you know just communicating and and um you know not not thinking too highly of yourself or getting too fancy um you know like anything in our in our world it seems like the more fancy people get the more fancy you know, it gets the, the worst, the worst things get. So keep it real, keep it humble. And, um, I think good things will come. Yeah, absolutely. If you're listening to this episode, we know you love local and so do we. That's why we're going to encourage you to check out your local co-op. Co-op is in over 600 communities across Western Canada with over 2 million members. Co-ops are a member driven organization that serve the local community. You can check out co-ops for all your food, fuel, home and construction, as well as agricultural needs. A membership costs you $10 to get in, and you're going to see that back in equity. You don't need a membership to shop at co-op, but you'd be missing out on all the equity and most importantly, your say and how that company runs. For groceries, if you want to shop online, you can check it out online at shop.crs and select markets. There's hundreds of local products sourced and packaged all across Western Canada and even free cookies for children in store at the deli counter. If you're looking at a home and building experience, they have local experts available to help with any plant, large or small, and free home and garage blueprints available for online download. 
Their gas stations are not just a great place to stop for fuel, but also for snacks and a recharge. They're available all across Western Canada. Voted the cleanest bathrooms. They have full service at most locations and car washes at most locations. On the egg side, Co-op's been in the business since 1930 and has continued to lead the way in not just energy products needed for seeding, harvesting, and everything in between, but also in the growing inventory of high-quality products, including crop inputs and feed that Co-op manufactures and distributes. Co-op's private label production selection is growing every year, providing growers with the high-quality products they expect from the name they trust. Co-op also offers a range of fuel, lubricant, and propane products, and also provides farm buildings, grain bins, bulk fuel, fuel tanks, livestock equipment, fencing, and heaters. Wherever you are, be sure to check out your local co-op because they have it all. Has there ever been like a location, like do you usually do yours like uh, like through the internet or whatever? Have you ever done any like on location out at camp? Like have yeah, you ever done any I, I have, you know, it's pretty cool. I do, I'd say probably 80% of my stuff is hunting and probably 20% of my stuff is fishing. And um, I've actually did a really cool episode. I've done several on the river. Um, one that I can think specifically with Colby Crosland um, at the Green River below the Flaming Gorge in Utah. And we actually were in his drift boat and he was rowing. And I actually had an older gentleman, a friend of mine, MJ Mastelier. And I sat in the back of the boat, mic'd up and MJ sat in the, or uh, didn't sit in the front. We stood on the back in the front and we were fishing down the green the whole time. And Colby was mic'd up as well and recorded the whole episode of, of literally like, you know, him rowing and you can hear him rowing. So you kind of hear like, and then you hear him going, okay, guys, river, right coming up. There's a big seam there on the right. Get your fly. Okay. A little further, a little further. Boom. There he is. Good fish. Good. You know, and it, it, oh, it's cool. a pretty neat episode. Um, and I, I've done some others and I've done some, uh, you know, from camp, I've done some, you know, literally from the tent, uh, I've done some around, you know, uh, campfires. Um, and, and so that's always fun as well. Uh, I'm sure if I had a little bit higher, um, IQ, as far as, um, technology and such, we could get, get some better stuff, but I've, I've literally just taken, um, my zoom recorder and, and, uh, set it on a table there in Mexico. I can think of several episodes down there, Cooster hunting one with my guides where we're just around the guide table. And then, uh, another couple episodes where we had the hunters that it, we just hunted that week. And, um, we just talked about the hunt and recapped. And, and so those are always fun. I, you know, I think it adds, uh, a little bit of fun to it um as well and especially if the guys can be loose um and and just kind of be themselves i think that that makes for a more enjoyable episode yeah absolutely we've done a few like we've done one in uh, tricky camp we've done you know a few here and there one at elk camp um but we've always had like these pipe dreams of getting mic'd up and getting into the boat or the ice fishing shack you guys probably don't do much ice fishing in arizona but we have that pipe dream too to do it we just haven't and you know and just like you said like uh tech, between technology and time and getting everyone together it's just like 
someday we will, I guess. But you know, um, that's the beauty of like these Zoom recorders. You don't even have to plug the mics into them and just set it in the middle of a table at the ice fishing shack. And you know, I've always said, uh, you know, I did a bunch of episodes early on on Skype um, right. as well, and uh, just did audio on Skype. And there were people like, "Well, it doesn't sound as good." And, I'm, and I would respond respectfully. I'd be like listen, I'm a one man band. Like I record these, I edit them, I upload them, I market them. Like it's me and me only. And it is what I, it is what it is. Like, you know, I, I probably could do a lot better job at getting a lot better sound and whatnot, but I, I just kind of took the approach of if they're there for the value and the quality content, I mean, you should listen to some of my episodes that have been pretty darn rough and hardly anyone out of the thousands and thousands of messages that I get, uh, even ever mentions, hey, that audio was a little rough. I mean, it's it's one of those things. If they want to hear what the guests have to say or even the host, um, they're going to tune in. It doesn't matter what it sounds like. Yeah. Coming like coming up to your 850, you took some time off. What does the, the future look like for, for the Jay Scott Outdoors podcast? Like, you got a lot of stuff cooking like are you throwing the gas to the fire now or yeah or... i i'm kind of re-energized you know um for me it's about talking about um all the upcoming hunts um preparing for those hunts so if it's coos deer season really diving in deep dive into you know coos deer hunting tactics mule deer hunting tactics elk hunting tactics bighorn sheep turkey because I know there's people out there that are wanting to learn and, and wanting to hear the different guests that I have on talking about that specific stuff. One of the challenges that, challenges that I've had as a podcast host with 850 episodes, I feel like I've asked the same question a million times. What you have to understand and what I have to remind myself all the time is you get, you're getting new listeners all the time. And you right. may have you may have asked the question a year ago to the same guy, the people that are listening, they're obviously tuned in and that I've had Steve Chapel on, let's say 15 times or Chris Rowe of Rowe Hunting Resources on 25 times. They're tuning in because they want to hear what he has to say. So don't think that if you ask the same thing or you go over the same tactic and that was it in part of the break that I took, that was part of what I had to kind of get over is, is, there's so many new people out there. I mean, there's people every day that say, I just found your podcast. They don't even know that I took a break. They're, they're yeah. and, and then almost once a week, I get a message from people saying, I've now finished. I started two years ago, and I've now successfully listened to every single episode. I think one oh, of the wow. biggest things that blew me away is one guy listened to all 850 episodes in less than one year. Oh, and wow. To me, I mean, you you know, it shows that the guests that I have on and the topics that we're talking about that that there is value there and and they went you know so many messages of I've gone back and listened to all your episodes or I've gone back and listened to everyone on elk or I've listened to everyone on coos deer. So you know, mix it up a little bit. If I could give some advice, you know, um, and it's fine if you all want to talk about just white-tailed deer specifically talk about white-tailed deer if you want to talk about turkeys turkeys fine if you want to talk about everything you know you can do anything you want and that's the beautiful thing about the podcast space is literally we could be talking about um you know working on old cars and then switch the topic to talking about you know uh tuning turkey calls i mean mm -hmm. so um 
you know, you can, you can make it whatever you want. Yeah. And that's, that's really good advice. And then, and that was the thing like I struggled with personally when we were starting out our group is that like, I was like, well, should we be like zoning into one specific species or topic so that we could always have those listeners. And, and then it was like always a kind of like a mess in my mind of like, should we do that or should we keep it open? And I'm so glad we kept it open as in like panoramic as, and it's a wide angle of everything that happens in the outdoors. So we get guests from, all over the outdoor industry and like we get you know we've had people on from like tv show like a tv show like like alone i don't know if you ever heard of that but like you know what i mean and, and people like like that right it's just a little change and then the next one might be moose hunting and you know yeah. and then you see your numbers move around and it's it's great it's really good yeah i mean uh the reality is in order to be successful in my opinion you have to ask questions and be talking about subjects that you like and you're in energized about um right. so you know i i don't look at ratings i don't list i don't look at my reviews um i don't look at my stats um i could care less i i, I literally and i know that sounds kind of weird i could care i've had I do know I've had like 75 million downloads right. um, and, and, but like, I don't track it. I don't look at it. I just look at how many emails am I getting? How many direct messages on Instagram? How much interaction am I having? How many comments on Instagram as far as how good of interactions am I having? To me, that's the value, you know, for someone to say, and, and, and I, I don't commercialize and try and I have sponsors and I do make money. So I don't want to say that I don't, but that's not the reason why I do it. So if that's not the reason why I do it, looking at stats means nothing. Looking at how much money right. I bring in per month means nothing in regards to that. How many people respond, how many people send me thank you messages. That's where I judge. Um, so if that is your judge, it's amazing what you can do. Um, and, and I see people start podcasts and people say, well, can you believe they started? Are you bummed that they're competing? I'm like, no, I'm not. I encourage everyone to start a podcast. And if it works for you, great. Like, yeah, I don't care. There's so many hunting and fishing podcasts that started after mine. I would be the first person to encourage and say, go for it, dig in there because it, ultimately you'll put into it and get out of it what you put into it. And, you know, some podcasts start and after 30 episodes, they're done. And that's fine. If that's all they have to give, or maybe they give it a two year break and they come back to it. Um, mm -hmm. But as a host, you have to be energized and be into the questions you're asking. Um, and, uh, you know, it's like I said, it, it's just been great for me to to, to be able to interact. And I think one of the things with my social media that I really enjoy is, is, you know, you get that video aspect too, and you get the comments. So you can immediately, I answer every Instagram message, um, every Facebook message. Um, you know, sometimes it's, you know, 30, 40 deep and, and, and huh. a day and yeah. you just have to stick with it. And then there's times when I have to literally give a short message and say, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm so far behind. This isn't the answer that you would expect out of me, but you know, that bull's a 320 bull. I can't really go into it more than that. And they understand. Yeah. But, I was, I was hoping to ask you a few more of the, the technical questions there, Jay, before, um, just because I know you you've, if you 
haven't looked into it yourself, you talk to the people who've probably looked into it too. Um, recently, I noticed there was like a study that came out as ca- caused quite a few ripples with the movement with uh, moon phases and, and deer and saying that there's not necessarily a link between the two. Um, what do you, what do you think? Like, is that what you see on the ground? Is that what you see when you talk to other folks or like what's, I know a lot of people are staunch defenders of like, of the moon phase kind of uh, relationship. So like, yeah. Yeah. So I haven't seen the study that says it's not related. Um, so this will be easy for me. Uh, <laughs> in my opinion, deer and elk, uh, 100%, the moon has absolutely everything to do with it. Um, uh, you know, I'm not a whitetail hunter. I, I don't hunt Midwest whitetail or, or Eastern whitetail deer. I hunt coos deer and mule deer. Um, and I can tell you 100% without a shadow of a doubt, moon phase has everything to do with it. Um, temperature has a lot to do with it as well, but it, it affects their movements. Uh, coos deer, mule deer, and elk, uh, if we've got bright moons, um, they are going to be on their feet more, uh, which puts them at prime times, you know, the first hour and last hour of light, they're going to be lethargic. They're not going to be moving around as much because they've just moved all night. Um, but what that is going to do during a full moon period is they're going to have a lot of movement from say nine o'clock to two o'clock. And they're going to move a lot during the day. Um, they may not necessarily move long distances because they may be in their beds, but they're going to get up and feed and they're going to move around and they're going to rut and, you know, chase their cows, chase their does. Uh, and then when you have dark periods, uh, where at night, if it's dark, um, what you're going to get then is you're going to get, uh, you know, first couple hours of light, last couple hours, what I call prime time hours, you're going to get more deer and more elk on their feet, um, you know. I would say uh, fix bayonets and point me to the fight uh, <laughs> in the argument because there's no one that can tell me that uh, deer and elk uh, don't feed more at night when there's a moon and don't um, uh, uh, feed more during primetime hours when it's a dark moon. It's, uh, you know, and it may be geographic. I can only speak about the Southwest uh, and all the areas that I hunt, but absolutely moon face plays a huge role, uh, in deer and elks movement. 100%. I figured you might be passionate about that one. So I'm glad, <laughs> glad I asked it. Um, the, the other one, you can was... always ask my opinion. I'm going to give you my opinion, whether it's, I mean, it's my opinion and everybody's got one, you know? Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> perfect. Um, the other one I was wondering too, is from what I was reading to Arizona started to phase out game cams in a, in a few applications there. Uh, was it just around the elk season or? No, they, so they've completely banned them in the state of Arizona, um, private land, public land, uh, 100% the cameras no longer allowed to be out. Um, you can certainly run cameras if you're not hunting, um, meaning if you don't hold a hunting license, uh, if you don't plan to hunt a hunting license, like you could not have a hunting license, run cameras for three years or a year or a month, and then the next year get a hunting license. And if they can show that you shot or harvested an animal with the aid of a camera the year before, you're in violation of the law. Wow. Um, I was 100% against it um, because I feel like uh, it created a lot of great wildlife management tools. And I think 
on, on the flip side, I saw firsthand where up on our Arizona strip, you know, you'd come up to a trick tank, which is a man-made water guzzler that catches rainwater and then has it out in a tub and and you know it's so arid and dry that's where our deer drink from and you know you could pull up and have anywhere from a dozen to 30 cameras on the fence or on trees all around and basically every animal that came there would be getting its picture taken so the problem with that is then people were coming at all hours of the day to check their camera which then interfered with animals coming so i get all of the pros and cons of the issue. Um, I was disappointed to see that they pulled that away. Um, I think that uh, there's a lot of people in the state that run cameras way back and they go hike six miles in the backcountry to a spring, doesn't bother anybody. They leave the camera there. They come back every six months, maybe every year, maybe every three months, no, never see anybody. So there's a lot of people that lost a lot of enjoyment of getting outside and getting in the outdoors. Um, so, you know, I'm not a fan of the trail cam ban. Um, you know, I would have liked to have seen them say, you know, 30 days before the season starts, the camera's got to go away and there's a season. You can't run them for three months. Okay, fine. Um, or, you know, there was a bunch of things that they probably could have done without just giving an overall ban, um, on them completely. Cause again, Anytime we're getting people that are going outside and enjoying the outdoors and we're pulling that away, I don't think that's a win for sportsmen. Whether you run cameras yourself or not, I think there's a lot of people that got their kids into the into the woods and into the wildlife and into the outdoors just by having them go with them and running cameras and then letting the kids, um, you know, thumb through and look at the pictures. Um, now that's been taken away. So I'm not a fan of the trail camera ban in Arizona. Does it? You don't have to, sorry, you don't have to talk about kids. Like I love doing it more, I think, than any kid. I Absolutely. love looking at We run cameras. Know? You know, I probably have I don't know four or five hundred cameras in Mexico on all our. You know, I've got over sixty ranches leased in Mexico for all the different you know deer and mule deer, goose deer, bighorn sheep, and turkeys, and we run cameras on all of them, and it's a great way to 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 manage our wildlife and um, you know age deer, age bucks, you know follow them from year to year and be able to take surveys of our turkeys how many um you know jakes we have how many poults we have um how many hens we have different years and kind of monitor our herd so i look at it as you know a, a management tool that's been pulled away and and i'm not a, i'm not a fan yeah it's definitely a management tool and i mean like even up here i don't think there's many been many or even any discussion about banning types of cameras i know there's been talks about like your cell phone cameras not being able to use them in hunting seasons there has and been I, talks and about i that. can see that i yeah um, yeah sheldon i can see that where you know if you get a picture and you go right out and shoot that animal i get it totally yeah. um and sorry to interrupt but like i think there's a big difference between getting an immediate photo and being able to go out in the woods and shoot that animal than someone that put, goes and puts a camera up and comes and checks it three months later the data that you're able to gather about what's happening in that area is, is unbelievable. And for those out there listening to Utah, you know, Colorado that say, oh yeah, but you know, having 30 on one water. Okay. Well, how about us all chip into a fund and say that we're going to pay someone at the game and fish a volunteer or whatever, and they're going to run 150 cameras and we're going to pay for a subscription service so that one person goes and pulls the card, uploads it to a public website so you can 
pay a subscription and see everything that's there. That that would be a solution. Yeah. Their idea of a solution was just ban them completely. And I, I again, I've said it five times now. I'm not a fan. And yeah. I never ran many cameras in Arizona. Um, all of my, you know, main of my camera running is in Mexico on private land. So I didn't really have a dog in the fight, but it just the man, the wildlife manager in me and the property manager in me um, knows what a great tool cameras are. Yeah. I really hope it doesn't come to that up here in Canada. Like I know even my cousin, he runs a, a you know, a guiding business for Blackburn moose and, you know, he does on a business side of things, cameras are life-saving for him. He knows where the big bears are, etc. But like he's had, we've had some many conversations about just the, like conservation side of it or just like you said management side of it you know where the big bears are but at the same time you know um you know where the small bears are and you know that there's you know 10 or 12 bears hitting a site and you know where to bait more like if there's more bears you put more bait you know and it just it keeps snowballing that way to where it's a benefit you know and it's it's yeah it sucks that you guys don't get to use cameras anymore that's for sure I mean, I was uh, the wildlife manager at the Ot 6 Ranch in Colorado for five years, and we ran approximately 200, a little bit over 200 cameras, and we ran them 12 months out of the year. We ran them all year long, and the tool, by being able to monitor the animals on the ranch and be able to then set quotas of, you know, let's let's bring the tags back because, you know, we didn't have as good of, we had a too much of a harvest or we had a winter kill or, or we've got a predation problem. We've got too many lions. We've got too many coyotes. You know, I'm not seeing the fawns. I'm not seeing the calves to be able to monitor our herd. It was, it was a huge tool there at the Ot six ranch. And, um, you know, so far in Colorado, it's still legal and, and on private land, it's still legal as well. So I, I hope that's a tool that they don't take away. Mm-hmm. Tristan, I cut you off there earlier. Was there oh, yeah. I think I was just wondering, like, it's it's kind of a shame to me just thinking, like, there, there's other examples I can think of, even just in, like, even the botany world, where they teamed up and saw value in the, the data that's being provided by people participating in outdoors. Um, for example, they would, there's, like, plant ID, ID apps, that um, where you're submitting pictures of plants to get the ID back. So the citizen is getting their, their plant ID. And then, but on the other end, um, you know, this app is now able to track where these plants are being located geographically in a certain region. Right. And they can see like spread and, and things like that. So like, it, it's a little, it's a, a little bit of a shame too. like the, the conservationist in me too, is thinking like there, there was a chance for citizen science there or citizen data if you know if the lens was just shifted a bit on on what the conversation needed to look like 100 percent. yeah um just want to maybe shift a gear here and um we're talking quite a bit about technology and we don't want to take up too much more of your time but i think that uh you might have to give us a good elk hunting story we've been like tristan's been saying we've been uh chasing them for the last four five six years now me and my one of my other hunting partners just finally got our first or his first five by five elk with the with the archery equipment. So, um, like good elk hunting story. Do you got that one that you was telling on the fire or something? Can I just preface that to there, uh, Shelley, by saying um, we we James we hunt elk in a bit different territory than most people <laughs> hunt elk. Like it is 
very flat so like there's no glassing that happens and like the, the bush is thick as um thick as hell to put it lightly um i think one time chase or our other partner there at the time had um messaged randy newberg about hunting tips like in flat bushy territory and randy's tip was to move to another location um (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean there there is something too um but that's someone that you know gets to choose where he hunts and uh, you know if 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 your territory if that's what you're dealing with you know you've got to deal with the cards that that you've been dealt and um you know that the flat and thick makes it tough takes your binoculars takes the visual aspect out of it and then you know you know, during the rut, then you got to hope that those elk are vocal. Um, or, you know, if you're sitting water, that, that might be another tactic you could hit. But, you know, for me, when it's thick and nasty and and flat and you can't use your eyes, you know, you've got to go to audio, you've got to go to, you know, elk bugling and, you know, that's where calling strategies and tactics and, you know, getting in close to them without making noise and, and, you know, don't call your way in and, and, you know, getting, get in tight to them well you say well how in the world can you get in tight to them if they're quiet and they're not calling and they're not bugling and um you know there's so much to it in those elk um i don't know where you guys are at as far as how wily they are but you know across the west um they're just they're getting seems like smarter by the minute um and and less likely to want to interact and and bugle and carry on because they're getting so much pressure um so you know, as far as elk stories, um, I mean, that, that could be a, another 30 podcasts. <laughs> um, you know, elk has been one of those animals that ever since I heard them bugle, I've just been fascinated with um, and, and really tried to study them. And, you know, I've been very fortunate to hunt in some of the best, you know, 20 years I was a public land elk guide in Arizona, which arguably is the best state in, in the world or country, um, best place in the world to, to hunt them. And, you know, 20 years I, I got to spend in the best units in the state. And so got to witness, um, you know, elk in their natural behaviors and, and in their environment. And uh, so I've learned a lot. And then, and then moving on from that public land guiding elk to, you know, being the manager at the Ot six ranch for five years and, um, you know, having a ranch that's 50,000 acres and, and, you know, a sanctuary, if you will, and, and getting to sit up on point every day and, and watching them, um, you know, chase cows and bugle and fight each other. And, um, you know, I've learned so much about their behavior. You know, I, I, I would love to write a book someday on it. And, and, you know, not that I ever will, but they're just an amazing animal, specific stories. I mean, there, there's so many, one of the things that I really like, even when I was guiding public land is being able to find a bull and watch him multiple years and then try and target that bull specifically and hunt that bull um, and, and hunt one elk um, and, and learn his bugle, learn his patterns, learn his tactics, learn everything about him. Um, and it's amazing when you really start listening to their voice and, and start learning specific elk. And, and on some of the private ranches that I've had, you know, the Ot six and other ranches across the West that are, you know, really, really good properties, the opportunity to be able to really um, hone in and focus in on specific elk. And, you know, we come up with nicknames for them. I got, you know, 
my phone's got 155,000 photos and videos on it of, you know, <laughs> curvy bull, you know, Creed, um, 86, 68, 77, you know, all these names. And the reason we name them is because, um, you got to keep them straight. You know, when, when I'm talking to my fellow guides or other hunters, you know, they're like, well, which bull is that? Well, if you don't have nicknames for all of them, um, you know, they kind of all blend in together, but being able to kind of isolate and hunt specific bulls, um, has been a huge passion of mine. Um, you know, watching them grow up from, you know, three years, five, four year, five year, six year, seven year, you know, watch them now they're 10 years old nine years old um and seeing not only how their antler configuration changes um but just how they interact with other bulls i mean there's there's stories where you know big giant bulls 400 inch bulls that you know were chasing 390 400 inch bulls and you know you'd think they'd be the biggest baddest bulls of of the woods and then you hear you've got a you know five-year-old that's just full of piss and vinegar that you know comes running up and and challenges them and some bulls just take and just walk off and and you think well what happened um and then you've got other bulls with character of you know any bull even enters the meadow they're going to go over and literally knock their head off um but to be able to see and it's it's no different than like human behavior you know you, you we've all seen these big strong tough guys that you know you know, maybe get in a skirmish and they just back away and they're not going to fight. And then you've seen these little sawed off guys that, you know, they will fight at the drop of a hat. So, you know, over the years, I've really enjoyed um, kind of getting to learn some of these different bulls and, and how they react and, and, and almost pride myself on being able to kind of predict what they're going to do. Um, and where they're going to go and where you're going to find them. And, you know, where's the first picture we're going to get of, of this bull, um, you know, on trail camera or, you know, when the rut starts, which meadow is he going to show up at? And it blow your mind guys, how, when you get to spend time watching specific animals, how much of a pattern they really hold to. And like, you know, there's certain, even bucks, that, you know, you're just like, you don't see him all summer and then the rut hits and he shows up right here. Or, you know, this bull, um, you know, you've seen him all summer and then, you know, about the 7th of, of this uh, 7th of September, he's going to make a move across the ranch six miles and he's going to end up in this back bowl and that's where he's going to go. And, you know, it's so funny with these trail cameras, you can almost sometimes some of these animals, you can have them down in pattern and be like, that bull's going to show up on that camera. If we haven't seen him all summer, he's going to show up there within, you know, a day or two and sure enough, boom, shows up right there, same spot. So, um, elk are unbelievable. Anybody out there that hasn't had a chance to hear him bugle and hunt them, I highly encourage, uh, to do that. It's, it's, they're an amazing animal, um, super smart. Um, the bulls tend to, you know, let their guard down when they get to chasing the ladies, like all of us, you know, <laughs> the ladies have knocked down a few good men, uh, uh, that we all know as well, I would say. Um, but it's funny how they drop their guard sometimes and do some real dumb things that ultimately can put them in a, you know, pickle where they're going to get, get themselves shot. Yeah. We had a ton of fun chasing them in, in that thick, flat area like tristan was saying like one of the things that we were doing our tactic was just basically like we'd get ourselves in the middle of the bush quietly 
you know, wait for a bit, make a call. If we got that call back, we would actually just go walking after them until they had enough of us and challenged us and came back. And you know what I mean? And when you're archery hunting and you, you can't find, you know, farther than a 20 yard shot, it's been a tough, tough runs right now. But one I, of these I days we're going to connect. Yeah. I mean, I would encourage everyone and you guys, especially, um, you got to get to where you call with confidence. Um, if you're not calling with confidence, um, you're in for a world of hurt. So, you know, you got to get your sounds as genuine as they can sound and, and you get your tonal quality good. And then once you get that, um, especially in thick country, you just got to call with confidence and, um, you know, personally in that thick country that you can't see, I'd, I'd probably live and die by the call and, and, you know, maybe get accused of calling too much, but you're only looking for that one bull. You know, if you're not super picky on what you're going to shoot, um, it's basically yeah. just throwing the trollers out there and wait until one bites. And, um, you know, you don't want to kind of just throw the troller out there like that. I mean, wing that thing out there and get it out there in the water and let that dog hunt, you know, and, and, uh, call with confidence. And, um, if you can call with confidence, a lot of times those elk are going to respond uh, better. Yeah. We, we call that a pickle rig up here, Jay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Throw the pickle rig at it and get after it. Like yeah. quit pussyfooting around there and, and uh, you know, get that call. And if, 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 unless your buddy says, man, you, you need some work, you really <laughs> don't sound good. You know, if you can get some good sounds, you know, you're just looking for that one reaction. You're looking for that one bull. Yeah. Um, so go for it. Do you remember your first elk, Jay? The first elk, yeah. I mean, one that I called in or just first elk that I harvested? First elk that you harvested. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but I can remember a bunch before that that I was shaking so hard that the arrow would come off the rest, too. So, um, <laughs> you know, I, the first one I killed, I, I swear it was one of those deals that he just wanted to commit suicide and just stand in front of me long enough till I could, you know, make a good shot. Um, one thing I've learned over the years is how important of being steady and calm and trying to calm yourself and then practicing, um, you know, that situation, practicing your mind, you know, being a golfer, you know, taking your practice strokes and, and hitting golf balls and trying to prepare for that moment when you have a tournament that kind of helped me with elk where you prepare as they're coming in, you know, how to draw, um, you know, picking a spot, focusing on you know when you draw back i mean before i got my first one and well after i got my first one as well i mean there's times when i drew back and you'll laugh at this but i mean still people i guide to this day i'll go where'd you hold and they're like i don't even remember aiming i i i i, I don't even remember aiming well until you've been there and had that excitement it's kind of laughable like what do you mean but then you do it and you're like I drew back. I don't even remember settling my pin. You know, I, I don't even remember that. Well, it happens to all of us. So if you can go through it a few times um, and, you know, like my first one, and then you realize, wow, I actually did that. Um, you know, you gain more confidence, just like with anything. If, if you can prepare correctly, prepare your mind for that situation, no different than a pitcher that's, you know, pitched and he's, you know, going to pitch in the world series. If you've practiced correctly and you've prepared your mind for it, you're probably going to get up there and, you know, throw darts and, and just whack them. If you're not preparing efficiently and, and correctly, and you don't get your mind right, you're going to be a wreck when they come in. I remember, I remember one time in Colorado, before I got my first elk, 
I went up with these guys and, you know, I was, I didn't know what I was doing. They're like, you, you sound pretty good. You, I've been fortunate from about the first time I put a diaphragm in my mouth, having decent sounds. They're like, I think you can actually get one. So I'm like, okay. So we hike up there and we backpack in. And he, my friend brought his, his dad brought some mules and first afternoon, they're like, Jay, you go that way. I'm like, okay. And they're like, we're going to go this way. So I wander out of camp and I slide up this hill and it's in Aspen's and I'm looking around and going, you know, now what do I do? I've, I've read, okay, fire out a cow call. Yeah. 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 Sure enough. I'm like, I thought I just heard a bull answer. No, no way did a bull answer on my first time up here. Yeah. 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 There's a dang bull bugling. So then I kind of get set up and here come three bolts. They come in, they kind of come around me and they come right down below me. And we're talking like, like you can't miss these elk at 18 or 20 yards. Like you can't miss them if you wanted to. And I remember the first one and they're walking on this little trail and they walk and they're kind of looking for me, but I had shut up. First one comes walking through and I'm like, uh, I think I should have drawn. Okay. I see another one. Okay. Now I draw and the second one walks through and I'm like, I think that's where I was supposed to go, yeah, and stop him. So finally, the third one walks through, yeah, stop him, boom, shoot, right over his back, shooting downhill, right over his back, ding, 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 stuck in an aspen tree. I'm like, what just happened? How, you can't miss an elk at 18 yards. There's no way. Like, it's a target as big as a bus, and you shoot over him. And then that was, a, I'm thinking, did you even aim? Like you were trying to stop them. Did you really settle your pin? And the answer is probably no, because you shoot three feet over their back. That's, you know, usually a case of you're not aiming. Um, yeah. <laughs> but my point of all that is it takes that first elk, that second elk, that third elk to be like, okay, I can do this. Settle down. This is just like shooting at your target. Calm down, like as bad as you want it. You need to calm yourself and you need to execute and make a good decision here. And that's when all of a sudden, okay, you gain a little rhythm and, you know, you gain some confidence and you draw back and your breathing's good and you settle that pin and you're like, good shot. You know, it's perfect. But I think it takes some reps. Mm -hmm. Reps for sure. Well, Jay, I don't want to take up too much more time. I think we're going to do a, like a little round table Roundup. So, like, final final words. I'll get, hand it over to Tristan, and you bet he can he can go on. Yeah, just just a deep thanks for coming on, Jay. It means a lot, especially for someone who's so seasoned in the industry. Just getting to talk shop about all the all the like tips and tricks and the the insights around podcasting itself, and yeah, uh, the the fact that you carved out time to to come join the the Manitoba podcast up here that that means a lot to us. So I, I thank you for coming on and. Uh, hope you had a good time. Yeah, I appreciate it. I'm glad you guys had me on. Yeah, and I'd just like to basically say everything Tristan just said and just add that, um, you know, the, the I'll just say the outdoor industry is a, is a tricky one, I find, in some ways, because everybody, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, is everybody, like, uh, wants to create this huge community, but then it's like people are almost worried when another podcast, starts up or they're worried another you know influencer starts up and it's like let's have each other's backs and help each other out and um you know i messaged you and you messaged me like within that day or the next day right away and was like yeah let's do it and i'm just like i appreciate that so much for uh just growing like uh growing an outdoor you know media 
podcast, whatever you want to call it, for growing it. I really appreciate you coming on. So thanks a lot, Jay. You bet, buddy. You know, um, with that being said, like we're in control of how we treat people. We can't control what other people do. The three of us can control what we do. If we can control and we can help and influence other people, then the three of us, it's amazing the sphere of influence that we have downstream. We can't control the other outside factors. We can't control some of the people in in the industry that, you know, that, that we can't control and that do things that we're just shake our head at. What we can do is control what we do um, and be genuine with people and help people. And I promise you guys, if you continue on the path that you're on, um, trying to provide good content, um, you, you know, great things are coming. Um, you know, I've been so blessed uh, from hunting and fishing and, um, you know, just everything to do with the outdoors. Uh, for me, it's just a blessing to be able to meet guys like you and, you know, maybe see you down the road and, you know, go wet a line or go hunting or, you know, just go have lunch or something if we, if uh, we happen to meet up or, um, you know, but we can all be an encouragement to other people. And, and, you know, there's, you know, social media gets a bad rap about this, that, or the other. I look at it as, listen, it's a great free platform where you have a chance to make a impact and and help people out there and Mm -hmm. so let's use it and we can only control what the three of us do but we can also be good influences to people that call you and say hey i'm thinking about starting a podcast well he's in my same hometown great maybe maybe we'll cross collateral uh, you know cross uh collaborate and 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 you know do some shared episodes um we can't look at this as it's ours and we don't want anybody in our sandbox i encourage everybody if you've got something to add get on let's let's you know come on social media let's let's um not listen to the noise let's try and create good healthy environment for people to interact and talk about the things they love and let's try and influence as many people as we can to come you know enjoy that pole on the end of a line um, or, you know, harvest something and be able to have a nice steak off, you know, off a deer's backstrap that you just harvested. So, um, you know, I, I look at it as, you know, in anything that you're going to be in, there's always going to be some bad apples. Uh, there's so many great people in this industry. I just try and focus on the positive. Yeah. Yeah. Those are good. Some good words there. We'll, we'll call her a night. Um, I hope uh, all the best of luck for you and uh, this fall and maybe we will see each other down the road. That sounds great. Like I said, thanks for having me on. Uh, God bless you both. And, um, you know, reach out anytime. If, if you need anything from me, I'm happy to help. And um, just appreciate you um, thinking of me and anybody else out there listening. Um, love to have some interaction with you and send me a message on Instagram or, or whatnot. And um, yeah, however I can help, I'm here. Where's the best place for folks to find you there, Jay? Sorry. Probably Instagram um, at jscottoutdoors. And then, you know, from there, you know, jscottoutdoors.com is my website. But, you know, I'm most um, interactive on on, uh, Instagram at jscottoutdoors. And yeah, welcome. Come on. And if you got a question, let's hear it. And I'll do my best to answer it. If I don't know it, I'll, I'll forward you to someone that does. Awesome. Thanks, Jay. Okay, guys. Take care. that's a wrap on 168 i want to thank you for listening again and huge thanks to jay for coming on it was kind of a real cool moment to be able to connect with someone who's 
like I said, just so experienced in the podcast world, was kind of there at the front end of it and has continued to just create content uh, on the digital landscape for over 860 episodes and super cool to like recount some of those stories about elk hunting and, and what it meant to us. So thanks Jay for coming on. We learned a lot still and uh, appreciate you being on the, the panoramic side. Yeah. It's really cool to get people like Jay and just people in general to jump on the podcast, you know, a guy with that much, uh, experience and how busy it is to, to make time for some guys up here in Canada. It really means I think a lot to our whole group to, to have a guy like that jump on our podcast episode. He told us go after Rogan, so Rogan's next, just so Yeah, Rogan's know. next. Didn't he say something about like uh someone else he said to go after I can't remember what he said now. Yeah. After we listen to it. Um speaking of fishing <laughs> <laughs> um, segue in history. Yeah exactly so we're doing the fish bingo coming up here. I actually started December 1st. And anybody that is wondering what the hell fish bingo is, go to our Instagram page, check it out. There's um, a little right up there. Or you can go to our website, www.panoramicoutdoors.com and check out the rules for that. It's actually super simple. There's a bingo card with a bunch of squares on there. And on the squares, it'll say something like catch a perch or catch a trout and take a picture with whatever whatever we're asking for if it's a line or an l or an x or, or an actual full of blackout bingo send all your pictures in and you'll win some cool prizes and i just want to bring everyone up to speed we've got some really cool prizes from from companies like co-op um from from badlands from strike king from oh man there's a whole bunch whole bunch that i'm missing and not thinking of right now Stillwater outdoors in Vernon has put together a package for us. Uh, we've got thousands of dollars worth of prizes, and not only that, um, we've been working with Co-op quite a bit, as you as you know. And we're doing an ice fishing shack, and one of our plans is to possibly be giving that away as well. So stay tuned because we're bringing on more and more um, businesses to help out with the with this fish bingo, and it's free for you to do. It's free to get outside, maybe take some pictures. And uh, you can win some free gear. Love the idea too. It seems like just overall like a fun contest to be a part of, even if you're if you're not going to land up winning all those sweet prizes. Well, yeah, exactly. And like, um, yeah, like there's gas cards. There's a whole bunch of stuff that can help you out getting onto the ice too, right? So, um, yeah, really cool. And, and thanks to all the people that are participating and all the people that are helping out with sponsoring it or, or sending in prizes. Um, the other thing I want to mention too, Tristan, before we take off, is the store. Um, and our website, I was just on there the other day and we keep on, you know, it's taken us a lot of time to revamp it and bring on, bring in new stuff. Um, but the one thing that I noticed is our recipe page. There's like four or five different recipes on there now. So if anybody's looking to like do, I think there's like a mushroom, uh, what did you do? Mushroom? No, what did you do the other day? <laughs> Risotto. Yeah. So like stuff like that, like, I think it's super cool. It's free. I mean, just go on there, check it out. Uh, while you're there, you can always check out our merch. Um, there's some blog write-ups. There's a, there's a bunch of, of cool stuff on our website. So if you have time, go to www.panoramicoutdoors.com. We appreciate you visiting our site. And if you ever do have time to give us a rating or, or a review on our podcast platforms, that goes a long way as well. Yeah, and I'd like to thank everyone again for listening, for tuning in, for supporting us in any way possible. And as we turn our minds to ice season here, I know some of you are going to be out there, so stay safe. Uh, be sure to check that ice. Uh, 
We'll also encourage you to practice with those diaphragm calls, check your map layers, and keep those bingo dappers wet. 